1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Let's set out some ground rules. Panelists must look at me when I'm talking to you, look at me when I shake your hands at the end, and really look at me if I'm talking to you and shaking your hands good Manchester United a bottom of the Premier League hammered by Brentford is this the Nadir can it get worse is the worst part that it wasn't that surprising and what on earth can Eric Ten Hag do to make them better meanwhile Chelsea absolutely batter Spurs 2-2 Harry Kane scoring an injury time with his first meaningful touch how exciting for Tottenham to have someone who can beat the first man from a corner all while Conte and Tuchel get alpha on the touchline men being men in front of men pulling each others hair it's what proper football men want also today arsenal are good gabriel jesus is two. manchester city bans sun cream gerard beats lampard brighton can't score goals again and on a very good weekend for dean henderson declan rice is sorry all that plus a goalkeeper scoring for qpr box set recommendations your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today barry glendening welcome
3: hello max i am um, uh Pretty confident I'm going to have dissolved into a puddle by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here, pouring with sweat, and it's very unpleasant. Uh, you should move to Australia. It's freezing. Uh, you lucky bastard. Um, Paul
2: McKinnis, hello.
4: Hello, 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 hello.
2: Hello, Barney, Ronay.
4: Uh, hi, Max. Hi, everyone.
2: Um, Pete says, does anyone on the panel know how many seasons of the Premier League there's been? No, none, none of us have any idea what the answer to that is. But let's start with... Um, Brentford 4 Manchester United 0 Michael says is it time not to treat a Manchester United defeat poor performance as the norm and not the lead story from a weekend Jamie says despite Jordan saying on the last pod we shouldn't be surprised anymore when United lose are we allowed to be surprised when they're losing 4-0 to Brentford before half time and Jamie says I know you'll have a lengthy slot for giving Brentford credit on a famous win. I really must insist, once you've dealt with my club, if you'd find 30 seconds to ponder why Manchester United were so bad and what this means for Ten Hag. I I know it is customary to start to say, before we talk about X, let's give credit to Y, when X is the big club who lost and Y is the small club who won. But I think we should probably start with Manchester United. Seventh successive away defeat, worst away run since 1936 from Wilson's column. Their starting 11 costs eight times more than Brentford's. That was a bleak day, Barry, wasn't it?
3: Uh, yeah, for Manchester United and their fans. I think it was highly amusing and entertaining day for everyone else. <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, we all know Manchester United are a mess. They're a mess. Uh, their owners are venal, and greedy, and not investing money in the club, despite the fact that they are spending money. Uh, there's an important distinction to be made there, I think. um, do we focus on them? Do we focus on the players on the pitch? All of whom are supposed to be very good footballers, but who played like a, a pub team on that in that first half, or for most of the game, to be honest. Um, I think Brentford went quite easy on them. I was pretty confident before the game that Brentford would win because they are a better team. Not necessarily with better players, but they are a better team, they have a better... Uh, well, on the evidence I've seen so far, a better manager. Uh, But it was shocking to see just how pathetic um, Manchester United were and to see them 4-0 down after 35 minutes.
2: Paul, were you shocked at David De Gea for the first two goals?
4: Uh, I thought the first one was... I I don't even see how that can... It's just one of those ones where you've seen that sort of thing many times before. But the ball was just not going with enough velocity to, sound, to even make it complicated. I haven't watched it super, super close up to see if there was a tiny little nick that it bounced off, but it didn't look that way. Um, it, was, it was a massive aberration. And I don't think kind of fronting up to it afterwards really makes that much of a difference. Um, and, and, and when you do that as a keeper, obviously any confidence you have in the team, which seems to be pretty low, uh, it's probably going to evaporate, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. D says, Well, Stabber De Gea on the first Brentford got blinded by the bright lights of West London that were meant to blind Ben Mee. <laughs> we'll get on to Ben Mee a bit later. D says, Is there time for Manchester United to look into this Dean Henderson lad before the transfer window closes? And actually, Barney, Jonathan Wilson's written about De Gea. For once, he's not written that much about Ronaldo, saying, Look, you can't, if you want to play out, you, you, you can't have him. He's really good at saving shots. Man United concede a lot of shots, but you can't have him if if You want to take those kind of goal kicks,
0: yeah. I, th- I mean, this is something that people have said for a while. I mean, Ten Hag has directly addressed that and said he doesn't agree. I mean, he you always have to remember that managers they're managers because they are experts and they spend a lot of time with the players. And if he believes that's possible and that De Gea can do that, he must have reasons for believing that. Um, but I, I don't know I make I make no apologies for feasting on the. Bones of Manchester United, we have to enjoy this while it 's here, and it 's kind of in a it 's in a sweet spot it 's like uh, that point where you 're three quarters of the way down a tube of Pringles, and you think hang on i 'm just going to keep eating this i 'm just going to i 'm going to push through because I know i 'm going to feel terrible in a bit. I know this is bad for me, but I just love the dust and the salt and the whole filthy, <laughs> delicious taste of it it 's just fascinating i mean we we want to do this and that everybody has an idea, everyone has a solution. I heard one pundit on the radio saying the problem is that Eric Tenharp needs to grow a pair. That's the problem. He hasn't grown a pair. I don't know what that would solve, <laughs> but I think it's also, but I think it's quite an important point because what he did, what he's done with his team so far, is actually very brave uh, to play Christian Eriksson in strange, innovative positions to play to try to assert his. Of methods and what he wants to do. It's actually very bold. I mean that that's bravery. It just hasn't worked. I also heard that every single Manchester United player is a bad character. Every single member of the squad is rot. It's a rotten. they're all bad people. That that what's happened is they've recruited one hundred percent cowardly, venal, rotten. Uh, players, which, if true, if that were true, is actually an amazing, it's an amazing <laughs> achievement. We always say we want like a coherent recruitment strategy. You need a philosophy. Everyone needs to be on the same page. And maybe that is, but why doesn't that work? What well, if everyone is every single one of these players is a coward and selfish? then maybe that should actually work because it's completely joined up. It's the kind of thing Man City would do. There's no nice players in there. They're all evil. But obviously it's not true. And and we've got into this situation where people say everything needs to go. We need to knock the stadium down. they <laughs> need to knock the stadium down and cleanse the soil. It's like Chernobyl. You need to get in there and dig out this toxic... Somewhere 50 metres under the ground, there's Alex Ferguson's shin bone which is ruining everything. It's, and it's just not true. That's not true either. Like we, we like to talk about culture and philosophy and all this kind of stuff. Like a philosophy is apparently a way of passing a football or a way of standing on a touchline or of shouting at people. It's just competence. It, they just have not very competent people running. Everything else about the club is fine. They make loads of money. They've got loads of fans. They've got a really big stadium. They're really close to being the Champions League. If you introduced five competent people in the key positions in Man United, they'd start winning on the pitch within a year, and everyone would stop going on about knocking down the stadium, about everyone in the squad being evil, like they've been taken over by the orcs or something. Or, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Like football is quite a simple game. When you win, it's okay. Arsenal have started winning, so everything's okay. Um, it's a question of competence and of, of of better kind of control from the top, and things change very quickly. And then we wouldn't have to knock down Manchester and and bomb uh, Stratford and all the rest of it. Um, I think it's a lot simpler than people think, but the results are are hilarious, and we should all make no no apologies for enjoying them.
2: So, what are the five positions they need? A competent manager, right? A competent head of recruitment. What a competent owner. Like like, and and if it if it is simple. Is it going to happen?
0: Because it's unlikely to happen, isn't it? Because. No, it's not going to happen, but there's a paradox. Like, we're told that the owners are only interested in money, and uh, all they care about is taking their dividends and using it as a cash drenching machine. If that's true, and they really are ruthless. So businessmen, why aren't they interested in winning? Are you going to make more money if you appoint competent people? But then the, the theory against that is that they want people who will agree with the strategy and say, yes, okay, sign Cristiano Ronaldo because that's extremely good for the eyeballs and the general sort of vibe around the club, but it's not to make any tactical sense whatsoever. So that's fine. So you want people who will agree with your primarily commercial strategy in those positions, sort of yes men, effectively. So it, I, I think it's kind of um, a combination of incompetent grasp of what the sport involves at the very top and uh, a, a really commercially run operation where you're going to dip out eventually. You're going to say, that's it, I'm done. And for the for the Glazer family, this has been brilliant. It's not been a disaster at all. It's been really, really well run. The commercial arm has been fantastic. They've made money. Um, they won't look back on the time at Man United and think that was terrible. They'll think that was really, really good for us. Paul, what's a good season for Man United now?
2: Is it too early to start going seventh? I mean, is is that ridiculous? Because it's only two games. They have been pretty bad, but it is only two.
4: I mean, a good season for them would still be to qualify for the Champions League, I and mean, they've got enough good players to do that. That would seem, you know, it would seem. Watching the particularly watching the Chelsea Spurs game yesterday, you would think, well, they're quite a way away from from hitting that level. But I would say they've still got a squad big enough, rich enough to, to do that. But I think really realistically what a successful season would be, would be to coin a phrase, you know, some kind of identity being clear on the pitch by the end of the season. Um, You'd hope that's a, you know, there's a bit of that, that's a style of play, but there's always been something about United, which is for the fans in the ground as much as anything, they connect with the players. And I think that is something to do with, uh, you know, Doing anything to win that kind of Roy Keane kind of mentality, but also you know young players brought through the academy, and I, I kind of feel like it might be in somebody's interest at some points to put their hands up and go, okay, this hasn't been working. This strategy of just you know making sure that in every window we still buy a high quality brand name player to show that we've still got it has not been working. We need to change, and we're going to do this, and you know. Stop me if I'm wrong, but I think United have several young prospects at the minute that you could, like Fergie's fledgings back in what was it, ninety five, ninety six, just dump them in the team, start playing with them, you know. Except you're not going to qualify for the Champions League. Have some fun along the way and t- and and reveal that actually you're not as bad as everything looked out. I think the expectations is as much of a problem as anything else.
3: I I think the answer isn't hosing money at big name players to in a bid to to paper over cracks. And I think the the first solution that needs to be taken is that Cristiano Ronaldo needs to be drummed out of that club, sidelined, made train with the kids, bombed out. And I think that would be a start. Well I can't see any immediate short term fixes to the Manchester United problem because their owners, for whatever reason, aren't interested in winning trophies. They're uh interested in qualifying for the Champions League that I think that's enough for them and and we do see like uh, what's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they won the Super Bowl Joel Grazer was front and center uh accepting the trophy as as happens in in the Super Bowl in American sports the owner receives the trophy rather than the captain or the manager uh I suspect in the very unlikely event that Manchester United win a trophy this season, he won't be anywhere to be seen. And that kind of shows how interested he is in the football aspect of things.
2: David says, was Ronaldo sending a message to the manager of this is how little I'm going to press by starting the game in a long sleeve shirt in 30-degree heat? Um, Look, Brentford scored more goals against United in this game than they have in every game since... Well, they've played them since World War II. I mean, I don't know how many... They may have only played them a couple of times, so who knows. But first victory against them since 1938. Brentford were really quite good in this game, weren't they? And we should address that at some point in this podcast.
3: Yeah, they were outstanding. Look, Brentford are a well-run club with a good owner, a progressive manager who has a strict no-dickheads policy. Um, that seems to work for them. They On the pitch, they were outstanding. Matthias Jensen, I thought, was brilliant. Uh Ivan Tony bullied Lisandro Martinez, as I uh, suggested he might on Thursday's pod. Uh they played an incredibly energetic pressing game that Manchester United had no answers for in incredibly oppressive heat. And I think it's important we remember that how how hard they worked in unbelievably hot conditions. I know they're, you know, elite athletes who've had a pre-season, but as we saw from Manchester United, it's very easy not to bother trying too hard if if the conditions don't suit and um they forced Manchester United into errors, and I was slightly disappointed they they took their foot off the gas in the second half, but it's completely understandable but they they as a club there there seem to be everything Manchester United are not nice shiny new stadium, you know good owner who supports his manager good recruitment policy and uh not particularly massive name players but a, a group of players who work hard for each other and that fourth goal pool was
2: stunning wasn't it I mean the, the pass from Tony was so good
4: absolutely stunning I was just one of those ones because it's not even particularly aesthetically it's not like there's a trick in there or anything you know it starts with a big hoof but the hoof is so like considered and played blind and how, exactly where Tony needs it, and then that you know to play a that's an Ericsson style ball coming from a you know a striker who's known for his kind of physical threat right across the box. And then in as well, you know just the the coolness of it as well, you know because by that point in time you've got enough enough seconds to consider what you're actually going to have to do and potentially freeze on it. And he didn't, and he just calmly sold the keeper, slotted it home. And I think you know I think. Uh, 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 Barry's right there about Jensen, the game he had. You know, just in every again for a player who's not, he, he's considered utility. You know, gets about does a bit of everything, but everything, all the aspects of his game were exceptional on the day, and and that is, that is not taking somebody who's born with God given talent or God level God tier talent. It's taking somebody who's willing and and capable and coaching them and having a response. You know, that allows them to develop and get to that level.
2: Um, our very own Robin Cowan. BBC might own her more than we do. Has anyone checked on Ben Mee, uh, given our discussion of whether Ben Mee would be uh, the bright (laughs) lights of London, might lead him astray? Peter sent uh, uh, a tweet saying, Ben Mee out in the big city tonight. Heaven protect him with a man gurning wildly in a nightclub. But it was lovely to see him scoring a goal. Um, United go to Liverpool next Monday at Old Trafford. Barney, what's good for United uh, in that
0: game? Like what what possible result? Would they take a two-nil defeat? I mean maybe, but they they have tended to, they've done okay occasionally against um well actually not in the last two seasons, but, but recently. I don't know. I mean Liverpool are an interesting place as well. They're gonna to play tonight. And I'm interested to see if they have the physical force that they've had in previous seasons without Sadia Mane and everybody's a bit older. Um I do wonder if something might have dipped in the level of physicality that team has and and again I, I think it's details i th- i do think man united's season could turn quickly or at least you know they're not as b- as bad as they looked um you know that it, 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 they can't go there thinking a 2-0 defeat would be a good thing although um it may actually be a good thing
3: i was just thinking if i was a manchester united fan i i just want to see a competent performance by players who are really trying i'm worried that they might not get that and that would be a source of huge concern for me. We need to remember this time last season, or more or less this time last season, Arsenal had lost three in a row. We were all laughing at them and saying they were doomed and you know hadn't a hope. And they, they turned things around. They should have finished fourth. They blew it towards the end of the season. Bad start to the season, bad end. But... United don't look like a team who are about to turn a (laughs) corner. They look like
2: they might get worse. Which would be funny. Let's face it. Uh, Let's end part one there and start part two at Stamford Bridge.
1: Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrowcom slash ACAST.
0: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, Chelsea 2 Spurs 2. Barney, you were there. This was really fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really fun. It was a, it was an amazing game, an amazing afternoon. It was, you know, it was about sort of how hot it was because everyone knows it was hot. But there's something about Stanford Bridge is quite a close, um, you know, ground. You feel very close to the pitch. It's very packed in, and everybody was just dripping with sweat. It was it was the whole thing was like a sensory overload. Um, and we were right behind the manager's dugout there, so you you got to see <laughs> you got to see the several incidents of interaction between. I mean, it was just it was so funny. Um, there was one point where uh, Spurs, when Chelsea scored their second goal, um, Tuchel went off on his touchline sprint. Um, and he's a really, he was wearing very, very tight trousers and he's got really long legs and his arms are really long. And it, it was exactly like, um, you know, that scene in the office. I think it's like the office party or maybe when he's just thrown a shoe over the office and Gareth comes steaming past with his arms <laughs> and his legs pumped. It, it was like, and it, that's sort of a bit of a meme. It was exactly like there was a mate out the corner of your eye, you saw this ludicrous cartwheeling man. And we had a really good view of the. Um, the handshake as well which was very exciting I, I want to know I think you need to know the pressure of the hand uh, relative pressures somebody started that only who only people who were inside that handshake will ever know how, <laughs> how that played out but somebody started somebody else responded and then you got into the kind of ring of roses thing of spinning spinning Antonio Conte around that's just so you don't do that you don't spin <laughs> nobody spins him around you don't ruffle his hair you don't spin him around it was amazing, uh, and I know the Premier League sometimes can be. Um, you know, you find lots of reasons to feel morally compromised by it, or to think, "What do we do? We take it too seriously." But that was just like pure entertainment, really high-level football, and people like this total lose yourself in the occasion thing. And it, it, it was it was very sort of beautiful afternoon, and it made it kind of was a, it felt quite redemptive and quite fun.
4: I'm I'm absolutely convinced that Conte held the handshake. And then made out then made out that reckon? Tuchel had been holding him and with like this, I cannot believe you are doing this to me while clenching the guy's fist as well, you know, breaking his bones in the process. So,
2: see, isn't the idea that, you know, taking on from Jamie Redknapp's, you know, look at me when I'm talking to you, that that you know, Conte went to shake hands but didn't really want to have a long chat with Tuchel. And Tuchel was obviously so furious that they just let in that goal because they totally deserved to win that game, I thought. That he wanted to make a thing of it. So then he was like, "Well, I can say you need to look at me when you shake me in the hand, shake my hand." And actually, I I don't know what you think, Barry. I sort of think you do need to look at someone when you're shaking their hand. Don't you? It's, I can't think of a moment when you shake someone's hand and you're not looking at them. There was one ex-footballer I won't name who did once shake my hand and not look at me, and I thought
3: he was a massive bellend. So, well, uh, yeah, I think a handshake should be firm but not too firm, and yeah, you should look at whoever's hand you're shaking. But we do see a lot of these perfunctory token handshakes at the end of games and generally managers don't really care about them but yeah, you know, it's all good fun.
2: Yeah actually on I was watching the international coverage and Hoddle, Glenn Hoddle was on there and actually he was there with Zola and they were both trying to claim their absolute bias for who, who, who was wrong in handshake gate but he was saying him and Tony Pulis would have these massive rows over handshakes it would go down the tunnel and now he's sort of older and going what on earth was I thinking? It was just totally ridiculous. Um, Chelsea, I thought, were brilliant in this game, Barney. I, I mean, they must be so... The, the Spurs goals and we get into them were slightly controversial, but Chelsea outplayed them for, what, 80 minutes of the 90?
0: Yeah, they were really good. And they, they shut down Spurs' attack really well. Um, Rhys James, uh, Jorginho and Kante were all... Whoever was nearest to Kane, as soon as he got the ball, just bumped straight into him, shut him down. They stopped him from having any effect, really. Um, And that that changed when Conte obviously could see that happening and brought on Richarlison and they played with the two. He told them to play very close together and they did and Kane was much higher up the pitch so people weren't getting into a space and that did change things and they started having some chances and could have scored actually before then. But basically, I mean, Chelsea did dominate the game because their system worked and they pressed really hard and you realise that they're actually... a. You know, Tuchel's a brilliant manager and he's had time this summer to work with them. And um, probably writing them off was a bit premature. I thought Raheem Sterling was really good as well. He made lots of good runs and it's is just such a good signing. He's such a kind of... Rela- I mean, he's kind of unreliable in that he will miss chances like he did, but he always ca- plays a certain level. He always keeps coming back. I think he's a brilliant Premier League player.
2: Yeah, I, I thought... I was slightly surprised, Paul, that lots of people were saying, well, that Spurs are favourites for this game, given their record at Stamford Bridge is yeah. appalling. And given how good that Chelsea team are, you know, and their midfield, as Barney said, they, their midfield was much, much better than Tottenham's midfield.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I credit Tuchel with a lot of that. I, I do think that he he understood quite where he wanted to kind of set the traps to stop, you know, particularly any build-up. You know, there was no opportunity for the, the rapid counter for, for, for Spurs because, the, you know, effectively those the centre halves and uh, and Bentancur were just were just closed down. But I read one. I read one. Take before the game, saying that you know Chelsea's midfield wasn't up to it because they they were playing two defensive midfielders, um, you know Jorginho and Cante. They didn't have the range, but obviously that that is only true up to a point because if you get them to kind of give the ball to people like Reece James who can make things happen, then 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 that works. And also the fact that a they you know they're a club that's that's sort of torn everything, you know, new ownership torn everything up in the summer, and lots of new signings who haven't really had the chance to bed in. Um, plus the, the the depletion of the, the, the defensive ranks. But I thought Cucciarella had an incredible debut, you know, mm-hmm. liability of his hair aside. I thought he looked really, you know, composed, strong, athletic, really calmed, slotted in straight away. And obviously Koulibaly, you know, incredible finish, which I think I've probably seen him do before for, for Napoli. Um, but you know, it looked 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 like a world class centre half, and that's what you wanted from him. So those new signings bedded in quite quickly, and obviously helped them. And and Spurs looked a little bit stale. Looked, you know, I wasn't trying to think whether it was a bit Spursy not to show up on a game like this, but I decided it wasn't. It'd be more Spursy to go two nil up and throw it away, perhaps. But they 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 looked a bit they looked a bit stodgy until I didn't think Richarlison played particularly well. But once they brought Richarlison on, the shape changed, things opened, and and the game was much more competitive.
2: Uh, Lucas says, have you decided yet how you will pretend that the refereeing in the Chelsea Spurs match was totally fine? Uh, an Arsenal fan, Lucas, writing that, Barry. Um, both Spurs goals were controversial. I guess Bentancur takes a bit of Havertz and maybe touches the ball about 25 minutes before the goal. That's my Spurs bias saying there. But Richardson was in an offside position. Then you've got Cucurella having his hair um, pulled by ultimate shithouse Christian Romero before the corner that Harry Kane
3: scores from? Um, well, I'm, I'm probably going to infuriate a lot of people. I thought the ref had a good game. Uh, he let it flow. There were tackles going in, and that helped the entertainment. Um, yeah, there was the the a foul on Havertz after losing the ball. I don't know there's any question it was a foul. And then it's how much of a gap was there between that and the ball going into the net? I found myself watching the highlights, having watched the game, get using my stopwatch to time it. And then I was thinking, what are you doing? Like This is what football is, this, is for. Is this, what? <laughs> anyway, for the record, I think it was 44 seconds I made it. Um, but between that foul and the ball going into the net, Kante, Cuccarella twice and Georgina all had blocks or touches on the ball. Now, uh, there's the question of Richarlison standing in an offside position. Yes, he was. Was he in the goalkeeper's line of sight? I Probably, maybe, I don't know. I don't really care. And um, the hair pull on match of the day two, interestingly, they pointed out it's not a foul. There's no law against pulling a, an opponent's hair. Uh, but it is violent conduct. So it should have been a red card. And then the corner should have been taken anyway. So Spurs would still have had the corner, but they'd have been down to 10 men. Um, Dave says, is this hair pulling legal now? And if so, will there be a new bald
2: premium on follically challenged players? Is the area of Cucurella, Guendouzi, Louise and Fellaini over? Are we entering the Viali Zidane, Fabinho and Robin dynasty?
0: If you can get away with blatant...
2: Yes? Sorry, Bunny.
0: Well, maybe it's, a bit, it's like Adama Traore in his baby old arms. If you have incredibly slick gel yes. or br- the return of brill cream, try grabbing that. Yeah, and you'll be they- washing your hands for ages, this <laughs> horrible, unpleasant feeling on you. Nobody wants an unpleasant feeling on their hands. How much brill cream would Cucurella need? I mean, it's a lot of brill cream for that amount of hair, isn't it?
3: I would love it if Cucurella came out for Chelsea's next game with a shaved head just for yeah. just for the giggles.
0: <laughs> do you know who Cucurella looks a bit like who or if you were to take say like a frizzy like a frizzy Cucurella style wig and put it on the host of this podcast what would
4: that look like
0: do I look like Cucurella I think I think so yeah I think I mean
2: I
4: I, you'll take it won't you he's about half your age
2: well I'll add it to the list I'll add it to the list, you know. It, I mentally it, th- took
0: the hair away and I just right. saw a bit
2: of, of Max Rushton there, I thought. I, I, I mean, look, the the list spans, goes from, you know, Ben Affleck at, and Ryan Reynolds at one oh, yeah. end to screech from say, by the Bell and a man slapping a bar stool <laughs> at the <laughs> other end. Like, I don't know where you put Cucurella in, in, in all of this. Um, the word on those corners though, Barney, I mean, I don't think I've seen a better left-footed in-swinging corner since... Andy Hinchcliffe and Perisic put in two and I don't think Tottenham had anyone who could take corners
0: for about 20 years yeah apart from Harry Kane you know he should have been on them yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are really good yeah I mean it makes a huge difference um, Premier League teams have, who have been good at set pieces like West Ham last year uh, have tended to do very well in recent years and it's it's kind of a non-spursy thing isn't it to get those um, those sort of bonus goals from just being good at a rehearsed move um, that, that changed the kind of narrative i suppose they did come back twice um despite playing badly which is a, a very conte thing
2: yeah and he's got a long throw perisic so i'm a big fan of long throws in the in the premier league um uh, dan and paul got both got in touch specifically for you barney um on the subject of you you, you know you Kulisevsky is what the kids say um uh, to mean cool but they wonder if you can confirm whether kids are now using cooler barley.
0: As a uh, rather than Kulisevsky, as a term of approval, I'm not sure. Does it have the same kind of Brosky, kind of bro talk kind of snap? I'm not sure. It sounds a little bit more, it's maybe a little bit more sort of um, the whole thing was terribly bally. It's more Bertie Wooster, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's Bertie Wooster having awesome. an, uh, Bertie Wooster hasn't. There's a famous scene where he has an existential crisis in one of the books, and he says, You know, Jeeves, the thing that's so terribly bally is the whole of life just sometimes seems so bally-bally. And that, that's the closest Woodhouse gets to sort of, you know, ruminating on the meaning of life. Maybe it's a little little more like that. That's where Koulibaly
3: fits in the <laughs> lexicon. Let's go to the Emirates. Arsenal 4, Leicester 2. Gabriel Jesus was brilliant
2: in this game, Barry.
3: Yeah. He, and it speaks volumes for his performance that he scored twice, provided two assists, and was apparently devastated afterwards in the dressing room because he felt he should have scored four. And probably should have had a first half hat trick certainly but uh arsenal fans lots of optimism there and and I not unsurprised he he I suspect if he stays fit will be an outstanding signing for them and I think he maybe just cuz he he's feeling a little bit more love there than than he got at manchester city I'm not saying he wasn't appreciated by pep or by manchester city's fans but he's clearly been told, you will start, you are my main guy, go out there and, and get us goals. And, and he delivered on, he possibly underachieved on Saturday, despite his excellent contribution. That's his first goal, Paul. Like, technically, to get that sort of lift and curl when you're
2: standing completely stationary is exceptional. Yeah, I was watching it
4: and, and just said to myself, Sand wedge. I mean, I don't even understand yeah. golf. I, I just, it just felt like you had to use a golf metaphor at that point, but just to get that loft. It was a bit, and, and, you know, again, it's that, it's just a sign of confidence, isn't it? To be able to kind of have that in your uh, in, uh, inventory at that moment, your mental inventory to go, okay, I'm going to pick that one and do that. Show somebody who's wanted, understood and thinks he you know, has a role to play in the team. What I saw after the game was like people are now saying, oh, Odegaard's fallen off and Saka's fallen off, you know, because these guys, because all the goals were coming down the left-hand side of the pitch, now the right side, abysmal, which shows that kind of like when you've been in the, the, the mud for as long as Arsenal have, it takes a long time to kind of start, actually start shedding all those doubts and self-loathing and actually kind of think, well, we've got quite a good team here.
2: But actually, Beau, you noticed, didn't you, when Saliba's got that quite spectacular own goal, like the Arsenal fans, like applauded him not for the goal, but just sort of give to sort of him up, which probably wouldn't have happened to Granit Xhaka three years ago, <laughs> or no. to sort of any late late stage Wenger team, would it?
3: No, there'd be a lot of faces contorted with rage and spittle flecked swearing. Um, I, th- I think Arsenal fans just realised they've got a little gem there, well a big gem. Um, he's very stylish. Centre back, he looks like the real deal, and you know, these things happen. It was quite a spectacular finish by him, you have to say. Uh, if if a, not at the right end of the pitch, but um, yeah, they they were eager that he didn't let his head drop, I guess, and wanted to to let him know he was appreciated. Happy Arsenal fans, there. They, it's a, a rare sight, and you know, I I I think I'd like to see more of it. Paul,
4: I just I just wonder how you. You know obviously granite Xhaka scoring, and then going off to celebrate, doing a little heart hand and stuff, and looking absolutely buzzing. It must be such a weird journey to go on for him. you know th- there was no greater pariah at one point, was there and and he 's now gone on the journey from being somebody who was absolutely loathed by tens of thousands of people every week to somebody who can form a bond with these people now and kind of like feel part of them again. I, you must be very forgiving if you're Granite Jacko, I reckon, because I'd probably hold it against people.
2: Are Arsenal good, Barney? Yeah, I mean, they
0: do seem to be, which is good, because, um, uh, you know, Arteta, I always felt even when they weren't playing that well, that he'd achieved one important thing, which is to make them feel like they were bad in a different way. Like there wasn't, it wasn't the ghost of Wenger kind of lurking. Nobody ever talks about him anymore. That because he had such a clear way of how he wanted to play and he was pretty ruthless with some of the players, he, whatever flaws the team have, uh, its own flaws and his flaws. And that seemed like a really big achievement even when they weren't that good. Um, Although they still won, you know, the FA Cup. Um, And he absolutely, I mean, I find, (laughs) I don't know if I'm a massive fan of his, but he's so into it he's so obsessed he's so obsessed with his coaching and with his li- with the life of the coach and with what he's doing that it's impossible not to get slightly swept up by it and to feel that whatever he does sometimes in football just having a plan is enough of a plan so long as we all agree it's the plan and I, I feel that's kind of the case with him if as long as you follow what he wants to do and everyone agrees then it will be a good plan And the team do have a way of playing. And I think that their Premier League games will be their biggest games of the season. And I I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, do okay in the league and finish in the top four, because they should do. You know, the club has the money and the players to do that. And if everybody's playing the Arteta way, whatever that is, it doesn't matter. Um, Then I think that they'll have a good season.
2: Meanwhile, Leicester, Barry, are in a pickle. I mean, Rodgers was explaining after the game, they just don't have the money to buy anyone. I think they're, they're, they're... as far as I can tell, they're something like the only team in the world, the only team on earth, not to have bought a player in this transfer window. They're going to have to sell before they buy. They're still letting go some set pieces.
3: It's a tricky spot for them. Yeah, I don't particularly understand. They clearly have valuable assets who are wanted by other clubs. James Madison, Wesley Fofana, Harvey Barnes are all wanted and would cost a lot of money. So, they could presumably bring in players on the strength of selling one, two, or all three of those players, but they'd be big players to lose. And the longer the window goes on, the more the Leicester premium will increase because players will know, or other clubs will know, they're a bit desperate. Um, they've had to do a bit of a rebuild before after winning the title. Brendan Rodgers. That doesn't look like he's thrilled to be there at the moment, and maybe his tenure has run his course. He might fancy a change of scenery. I'm not sure, but they weren't terrible in this game, but, yeah, they're in a bit of limbo at the moment with regard to who will still be there at the end of the month.
2: All that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, I'll begin at the Etihad. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly, um, Man City 4, Bournemouth nil. 0. Look, since every City performance now, Barney must be judged solely through the orbit of Erling Haaland. He only had eight touches. He made just two passes during the 74 minutes he was on the pitch. One was a kickoff. one was an assist, but it doesn't really matter, does it?
0: Yeah, he helped to create a goal and that was good play and the kind of good play he'll have to do more often. Um, it's, I was talking to someone yesterday who suggested that... Um, there's going to be two de- types of games uh, for Haaland this year. There's going to be the one where where he has to play two totally different ways. The one where City have all the possession and it's it's all about finding a moment and just using a moment to contribute. And then games where City gets space, uh, where other teams have the ball, where he's absolutely devastating because if you're breaking with the ball and there's any kind of space behind, he's, he's unstoppable uh, with players who can pass like that. So th- this was one of game A, Uh, where he just has to contribute in some way. And it was interesting that um, there were a couple of occasions where I thought the opposition were so sort of spooked by his presence that there was space for other players. Like, you're always aware of where Harland is because he's this terrifying presence. He's kind of... It's like having... um, like the nuclear deterrent, you know, it's like like, like Putin having nuclear weapons is, what do we do? We need to tread incredibly carefully around this team because they have this vast, terrifying weapon that can destroy us. And I'm sure that he will lead to other players weirdly having overlaps in other spaces rather than being a sort of uh, an extra body. He's a kind of extra vibe. He's a terrifying sort of presence that puts teams off because you, you have to watch him at all times. Um, and I think he'll have a few games where he's not touching the ball much, but, oh, he's just happens to have scored or, or made a goal. Um, I, I wouldn't be too worried about his touches. Everyone else has enough touches to make up for it. It, it looks like City will work out how to make this thing work, which isn't surprising because everyone involved is incredibly talented.
2: Barry, yes, you, uh, two weeks into the season, now have you come to terms with how big Erling Braut Haaland is or not?
0: Well, there was one stage someone played a
3: long pass towards him He got in, well, hadn't quite got in behind, but Jefferson Lerma went to try and shoulder him off the ball and just bounced off him. (laughs) It was quite comical. (laughs) And to be fair, he should have scored because there was an opportunity quite early doors when Phil Foden should have squared the ball to him and he had a tap in, but Foden elected to shoot, uh, which infuriated Hall, and he did the classic hands out in front of him, why didn't you roll it my way? Um, but you know, even without doing much, he
2: did a lot. Uh Paul, Kevin De Bruyne's finish was so lovely. I am trying to think if, if there's a nicer type of goal than an outside of the boot into the corner finish.
4: I mean it just it's just uh, imperious technique, isn't it? And I thought he had a he had a great game and you know, the reminder, as Barney's saying that you know you if Haaland starts acting as a magnet to other players then you've got players who are, are just as good as him who can take advantage of that and he, he ran the game. Um I was wondering a little bit about what Bournemouth might take from this match. Uh, you know, just a more of a generic question really what happens when you're a promoted side or a relegation candidate and you come up against this team is 4-0 against City where a decent a decent return. I mean they it kind of
2: par. Do you reckon is it par? Do you reckon that's about a par score? I would say probably. it
4: probably is about a par and, and, and but on the other hand, you know, a lot of the a lot of the statistics they actually kind of you know, in terms of interceptions and blocks and passes, they did all right in the game. They only got one shot on goal and their, their full backs were regularly rinsed for, for, for um for possession. I kinda I kind of feel like it's it's one of those ones we there's there's not all you can do is really look at it and go, Yeah, we yeah, we weren't good enough and Will we, but will we ever come under that same amount of pressure again? It was difficult, I think, for a club like Bournemouth in that position.
2: Guardiola gave her debut to 17-year-old Rico Lewis late on. Um, uh, born more than five and a half years after Bournemouth last picked up a point against Manchester City. Uh, on the 21st of November 2004, the day that Girls Aloud's I'll Stand By You took over from U2's vertigo on the top of the charts. I don't know if any of you see Sun Cream Gate. A man called Elliot tweeted Manchester City to say, genuine question, can we bring sunscreen? I'm in the east stand lower and the sun will be beating down. To which Manchester City Supporter Services said, hi Elliot, sun cream will not be permitted on entry into the stadium. We advise supporters apply this before coming in and to bring a hat and water. And Jamie did write to the pod to say, why are Man City banning supporters from bringing in sun cream? The whole of Manchester trades off the back of sunshine. <laughs> um, it does, It does." Barry,
3: seem ridiculous, doesn't it? What can you do with sun cream? Well, you can squirt it at rival fans. You can throw it at players. Uh, the, the bottle, I suppose. It's, True. it's unhealthy. Um, of course, fans should be allowed to bring sun cream into the stadium. I would... Burn to a crisp if I went out in this heat without sun cream on my pasty Irish skin. Um, But it speaks volumes for the behaviour of some supporters that they cannot be trusted (laughs) to bring a bottle of sunscreen to a football match. I say, bottle of Factor 50 is quite expensive. I mean, if you're going to lob that, it's not cheap sun cream, is it? Well, we're talking about fans who literally throw money at. You know, rival mm, fans true. and players. It's so. true.
2: Um, Villa two, Everton one. First managerial meeting between stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard. Um, what does this mean, Barney? That Gerrard is conclusively better than Lampard at managing football teams?
0: Yeah, it's funny how obsessed we still are with those that sort of clash of personalities. When um, yeah, manager is a, really quite a small part of the trajectory of both these teams. Um, I it's funny how Gerard's stock has dipped and people are saying he was genuinely under pressure before this game. Um, whereas, he, you know, he had quite a promising start, I thought, and he's won trophies. And I actually have some optimism that he might be a, a good manager. I like his kind of um, uh, very controlled, solid, quite negative style, which seems the exact opposite of his own kind of marauding playing style. I find that quite interesting. And I kind of assumed he might be the next England manager, Um because he would take that as a step up and it would kind of work and he'd be the anti-Gareth because he's a kind of inspirational figure and all the rest of it. All that result really says is Everton, we're in for another sort of slightly hilarious Lampard-Everton season uh, where we seem to be a mixture of really sort of um, passive aggressive statements of how bad his team is as though it has absolutely nothing to do with him and ludicrously unbound celebrations <laughs> when they actually do well when it suddenly is all to do with him so that in itself um i welcome
2: um paul what have you made of tyrone ming's gate
4: i i, I don't think it was well handled um uh i think it even if it were the case that you were going to strip him of the captaincy and then give him a game to kind of cool off, it didn't. It didn't read that way, um, which was sort of mismanaged by somebody because it read like I've actually decided that from being one of the most important players in the club, you're now absolutely not important at all, and we can discard you. Which I, you know, it's going to be counterproductive for the squad in general. So I'm sure that isn't what he wanted to do. Ming's played all right um, in in this game, and certainly you know put in, put in a number of blocks I think I can't remember who it was at the end was it Gordon or maybe a Nana that kept them in the game because actually the last fifteen twenty minutes of the game were really exciting villa prob you know could, were were lucky to win in the end, I think despite having had the best of the first half uh but yeah i you know it's just one of those things you've got you've got a player who is he is loved by the fans he is a symbol of the kind of villa of the last few years. He's an England international with a massive social media profile as well, so you've got these further complications of how you manage that. I think I think Tyrone Mings has dealt with it perfectly, perfectly well, and uh, you know he's he does it, He'll be he'll be expected to do his talking on the pitch, I guess.
2: Um, uh, to the city grounds, uh, Nottingham Forest one, West Ham nil for us. First Premier League win in twenty three years. West Ham possibly a bit unlucky. Mister Penn hit the bar a couple of times. Um, but great for Forrest, Barry, and it's quite nice to see some new footballers who I was unaware of until <laughs> yesterday.
3: Yeah, they rolled their luck a bit, and you, maybe the gods were smiling on them. Their first uh, game at the City Ground in 23 years—very special occasion. I understand they have a a pre-match video they show at the ground, which is quite cloth-heavy, and they made some edits to that to add in, you know, more recent. Uh, Great achievements from the playoff season. Uh had a look at that on Twitter. That was got got even got, you know, the, the blood racing in me and I've I've no Did you start ass- sweating, Barry? Or, or <laughs> no, no, no. But it, it it got the hairs up on the back of my neck. You know, I've no particular affinity to Forest. They they were impressive, you know, because Steve Cooper has a big job in his hand, you know, stating the obvious here, but he brought in 13 players, has to assimilate them all in the squad, get them playing together, and they looked pretty good. As I say, a little bit lucky, but I, I don't think anyone would have begrudged them the points. Apart from David Moyes, um, <laughs> who, who felt the referee without wanting to criticise the referee made it quite clear he was criticising the referee. <laughs> but in a way, that won't earn him a fine. True, he did. But, like, I did feel for him because the guy interviewing him, I think, on the BBC,
2: he was just saying, y- you can't be happy with those decisions. And David Moyes went, I don't want to talk about referees. And he went, yeah, but you know come on and he went no but I, don't, I really don't want to talk about them went, yeah but come on it's a bit frustrating I mean I would be annoyed and eventually David Moyes was just like okay yeah I was annoyed by it Paul sorry you wanted to come in yeah
4: I just wanted to add just a little bit to the integration thing which I thought was noticeable yesterday that well they got 15 new players but the ones who have come in straight away are those who have you know a little bit of Premier League experience but a lot of championship experience and O'Brien and Toffolo I thought played very well yesterday the, the Huddersfield yeah. pair yeah slotted in straight away and, and maybe that's a way in which if you've got a massive turnover you start using the players who are more readily going to understand what's going on in the first instance and take longer with the the more glamorous overseas signings.
2: Um, Chad says, what's the earliest point of the season where players should take to social media to apologise to the fans for their performances? Declan Rice missed a penalty. He apologised to everyone. Barney, do you think that was, the, that was the right thing for Declan to do?
0: No, I mean probably i don't think he needs to apologize but um thoughts obviously immediately turned to apologies it's all about man united again so midway through the first half i was immediately sort of separate how's this going to play out who's going to apologize when what's the tone going to be i thought de Gea you know <laughs> he was good i mean he was ready to apologize that was someone who had an apology brewing in him and that seemed to come very naturally um i think de- declan rice is kind of a pleaser isn't he he kind of he does a lot of sort of talking. He's very obliging. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think he needed. But I think he could probably do with being a bit meaner and, and nastier. Declan Rice. He, he's a very, he seems like a very nice person. Baz, I'm still waiting for him to
3: apologise for declaring for England. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting about that penalty was that for that penalty, that McKenna didn't get sent off because because Dean Henderson was behind him. It was it was a judge that. He wasn't denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And I would really say that is de- that that is de- denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Sticking your hand there when someone kicks it
3: at the goal, sort of regardless of how many people are behind you. But anyway, uh, it was only a, a, p- a card. penny for the thoughts of Dean Henderson. Actually, after seeing David De Gea's performance, maybe he'd rather play for Forrest, even if had he stayed at United, he might get picked for the next game. Possibly. Do you want to be part of that shit show? I don't know. <laughs> is that how Eric Den Hag sells it, when he brings up
2: Arnautovic? Do you want to be part of this shit show? Um, Mark says, have any of the panel been approached with regards to signing for Nottingham Forest? Yeah, they really have signed a lot of people, haven't they? Neil Mopai lurks to be on his way. Uh, a couple of others as well. Um,
3: but, uh, I mean, I mean people are making a big deal out of this. They, they had to sign a lot of people because they didn't have enough players to contest the season they have a, a squad to fill and I believe they signed quite
0: a lot of people last summer as well and the summer before it, it really but, is a lot though I mean Man Man City have basically got 16 regular first team players and they've essentially signed almost the entirety of Man City squad and if you're signing these people they're presumably going to be expecting to play it is amazing I mean it seems part of the whole vibe is to sign loads of people and and there's and the lot sort of energy and it probably seems to sort of fit in with the way the manager wants them to play um but it is in- astonishing
2: uh three games to go uh with apologies for not talking about them for that long Southampton two Leeds two Paul what did you make of this one
4: um well you know I, th- I think it's interesting that that leads have uh Leeds have Rodrigo started the season well for Leeds and I think that's good because they need goal-scoring options that aren't Patrick Bamford. Um, uh, particularly after losing Rafinha, I think the high energy is good and you know I think things are probably not as bad as feared for Leeds at this moment in time. But still, you shed a two-goal lead, it's not a good look. Um, and Saints will probably take consolation from that even though they they don't look like they've got much about them at the minute.
2: Yeah. Um, is it Sekou Mara who, whose assists... For for Car Walker Peters, I thought that was superb. Man.
3: Yeah, he, he looked. I think it was his debut. Um, I must confess, I've never heard of him before, but he he impressed me. He brought a save out of Ilan Mesler. That assist was exquisite. I I just don't know what to make of Ralph Hassanudin at all. Um, but to be to his credit, the substitutions he made got Southampton back in it, and the Adam Armstrong and Joe Ebel combined. To uh, make it two-one,
2: so yeah, two goalless draws. Then Brighton nil, Newcastle nil. Brighton should have won this game, Barney. Are we, allow- are we allowed to say they just need someone to put the ball in the back of the net and <laughs> then they'd be great?
0: Yeah, so I understand. Um, but obviously, you know, they they had a fairly easy start to the season, and now they have finally come up against the level of quality they're going to face <laughs> in this division. And you know, that's that's a reality check after that stroll on the opening morning. It's not always going to be like that. This is a tough league. You know, Mr. Potter. Um, I hope you're ready for it. Um, so that, that, would be actually, that would actually be good for them to face that level of opponent.
2: Um, Nick Pope's clean sheet. Uh, he played really well in this game and, you know, they cleared a couple off the line. He became a Twitter sensation for reasons that I didn't know until producer Ian put them into the script regarding Burger King asking their followers for preferences of gherkins or tomatoes and the fan account Toonpole suggesting Nick Pope as an alternative. Yeah. <laughs> um, If if sort of unviable option, presumably after the first person has chosen Nick Pope in their whopper, no one else can have him. Within hours, he was trending, and then it sort of took a life of its own that passed me by. But uh, if you were part of that journey, good for you. And uh, Newcastle,
4: you use a slicer. Yes, what use a slicer like in a butcher's? So you just put Nick on Nick. Yeah, put Nick Pope through the slicer. You can probably get a couple of thousand slices at least. Guys, yes, this guy's long, isn't isn't he? Yeah.
2: It is true. I don't know if it would it add to the flavour.
4: No, but you only want a little bit. It's a sort of delicacy, isn't it? That's true. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a delicacy. Like, Nick, Nick like tr- Pope is a delicacy. Tr- truffle oil. If you put too much of Nick Pope in your food, it will overwhelm the flavours.
2: Truffle oil makes me gag. And as, as, as far as I know, and I don't know how close I've ever been to Nick Pope, he doesn't, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Um,
3: I, I really um, hope you don't find out. <laughs> <laughs> eating, cannibalizing just, No 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 but just no 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 no, no let me be clear
2: even being like e- not eating truffle oil but just being close oh, being in I the see. presence of truffle oil is is a real I had to ban a flatmate from eating it because it was So if you ever months. do like, meet
3: Nick Pope and yeah. he, he offers you know to shake your hand you you probably won't look him look him in the eye while you're shaking his hand for fear well, of form on his I.
2: shoes uh, Wolves nil Fulham nil Mitrovic um, uh, missing a late penalty um, uh, so his season is over after that great performance against Liverpool and we'll, we'll give Wolves and Fulham uh, more coverage next time around um, Mitro he,
3: he's, he's, he misses quite a few penalties I think didn't he miss a critical yeah. one for Serbia for Serbia yeah oh, Well, uh,
2: Joe Perry says is uh, Senny Dieng's goal for QPR confirmation that all short-sleeved wearing goalkeepers are in fact centre-forwards with gloves on Barry, were you disappointed to see Sunderland conceding a last minute equalizer to a goalkeeper or happy because it was a goalkeeper scoring a last minute equalizer?
3: I, I was more amused than disappointed. Uh, I checked on live score on my phone um at, at five to five or whatever, presuming Sunderland had held on, having been two nil up when I left the house with five minutes of the game to go, and was oh bugger. But um upon discovering the QPR goalkeeper had scored the equaliser, you know, Who you can't begrudge a goalkeeper a goal, even no, if it's against your out. team. Gareth says, I watched the live
2: gig. I noticed Barney is looking like he's been in the gym. How many Barrys could he
0: bench press? <laughs> well, I'd love to try, particularly a very sweaty Barry um, co- <laughs> covered in, in suntan oil. That, that Now now you're talking. Well, that's something we'll perhaps do on the next live show, can't we?
2: And Michael says, I've been reading Paul McInnes' Better Call Saul's weekly episode, Guardian Columns. I can't believe next week is the last ever episode. Which is better, Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad? No spoilers, please, because I haven't seen the last series of Better Call Saul, Paul.
4: Um, I, think it's still, I think it's still Breaking Bad because without Breaking Bad, you couldn't have Better Call Saul. It created something. And I think there's more yeah. memorable characters in the first one than the second one. But the second one does something different. It's a bit more low-key, a bit more intricate. I mean they're both they're both absolutely brilliant, which is why I love writing about them every week.
3: I have never seen a minute of either. Does that make me a terrible person? Absolutely
4: not, Barry. You've got a, a very busy life with lots of other things going on.
3: Has he? <laughs>
4: <I
0: don't. laughs>
2: Look, start Breaking Bad. I didn't finish Breaking Bad, and I did finish Better Call Saul, but I, I don't know what you think. I think there's a, a, a box set is as much about you and the place you are in your life as it is about the quality of the TV show. So you might... It, it doesn't, it's not defined by how good the show is. It's defined by what, where are you currently in your existence that means you've got five series or three series or whatever to watch.
3: Well, I most recently watched Ozark, which I think was about sixty episodes, and it was really good. I loved it. But once I was finished, I wanted something much lighter and frothier. So I w- ended up watching, like I think, the first three series of the MacGyver reboot, which is like <laughs> utter rubbish. But it was a nice palate cleanser. But I, I am in the market for something new now, so I might. I've got this, a recommendation. Uh, world.
4: I've got a recommendation. Only Murders in the Building. If you haven't seen Only Murders in the Building, it's on Disney. Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez uh, doing this sort of, it's really an old school 1980s Steve Martin, Martin Short vibe but set in the modern age about murders in a posh. It's got a murder mystery. It's incredibly intricate comedy. It just couldn't be better written comedy. And it's only 30 minutes long per episode. It's really involving. I, oh, I recommend it to everybody.
2: I'm binging McDonald and Dodds on the recommendation of Jonathan Wilson. I don't know if that if that's a, a good thing or not. Barney, would you like to add to this? Or Would you like to go home? Well, I've
0: just uh, I've just watched all of um, Stranger Things from series one through to the end, and surprised to find that it's absolutely brilliant. The style it's like Twin Peaks um, with the aesthetic of the Ice Storm. It, I, I think it's I think it's really good. It's I mean it's ludicrous and makes no sense, but it's this contained world which I always really like if you can create that really coherent world i find it good
2: all right well that's that's all for today uh since we've moved into the culture pod uh which we may start again one day at the garden probably not with us um uh, barry thank you for your time thank you max thank you paul
4: as uh, Harry Kane tweeted spicy love it proper battle to get a good pod
2: (laughs) thank you barney cheers thanks everyone uh, we'll be back on wednesday
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus,